first scripture reading this morning is Romans 10, 13 through 17. For everyone who calls on the name of the Lord will be saved. How then can they call on the one they have not believed in? And how can they believe in the one of whom they have not heard? And how can they hear without someone preaching to them? And how can they preach unless they are sent? As it is written, how beautiful are the feet of those who bring good news. But not all the Israelites accepted the good news. For Isaiah says, Lord, who believed our message? Consequently, faith comes from hearing the message, and the message is heard through the word of Christ. Scripture reading this morning, Matthew 7, 24 through 29. Therefore, everyone who hears these words of mine and puts them into practice is like a wise man who built his house on rock. The rain came down, the streams rose, and the winds blew and beat against that house. Yet it did not fall because it had its foundation on the rock. But everyone who hears these words of mine and does not put them into practice is like a foolish man who built his house on sand. The rains came down, the streams rose, the winds blew, and beat against that house, and it fell with a great crash. When Jesus had finished saying these things, the crowds were amazed at his teaching, because he taught as one who had authority, not as their teachers of the law. The word of the Lord. I think it was in my first week here, I got the word that my director of youth ministry was resigning. <laughs> and soon it was pretty clear that there was a date on the horizon, August the 18th, would be her final Sunday. And then we came to summer and we decided to preach sermons on the Psalms. I thought, oh, August 18th, I know the psalm for that Sunday, Psalm 119. It's the psalm about the Bible. <laughs> it's the psalm to go to seminary on, I believe, because it's all about words. Seminary has a lot of words. <laughs> you create a lot of words. <laughs> you hear a lot of words. 
but mostly it's about the Word of God. You know these words. Here's a few more of them from Psalm 119. I have not departed from your laws, for you yourself have taught me, O God, how sweet are your words to my taste, sweeter than honey to my mouth. Your word is a lamp for my feet, a light for my path. I have taken an oath and confirmed it that I will follow your righteous laws. I have suffered much. Preserve my life, Lord, according to your word. Accept, Lord, the willing praise of my mouth and teach me your laws. Though I constantly take my life in my own hands, I will not forget your law. The wicked have set a snare for me, but I have not strayed from your precepts. Your statutes are my heritage forever. They are the joy of my heart. My heart is set on keeping your decrees to the very end. Psalm 119 really is the the granddaddy of all the psalms. (laughs) It's a long, long psalm, like a sermon, (laughs) really. And I toyed with the idea of us just simply reading the whole thing, all of Psalm 119 in its entirety. But as you know, as we've been saying and we've been praying, Jamie has to get to Princeton this week. (laughs) We don't have that kind of time. And there's lunch awaiting us as well. It is long, 176 verses long. And it has all the words. It's literally the alphabet soup of the Psalms, with each verse and each stanza beginning with one of the 22 letters of the ancient Hebrew alphabet starting it. It's the original acrostic, built for ease of memorizing all those verses. And so most of you have this by heart, don't you? I'm sure you do. So many words. Words mostly just about the word, about Scripture. John Calvin himself preached 22 sermons, one for each stanza. You're getting one sermon for about one stanza today. So consider yourself fortunate. It'll be a short sermon on a very long psalm. It's a psalm that has a theme of itself all through it. The law, the precepts, the statutes, the commands. It's got all these different words for the very same thing, the word of God. The most familiar one or the the most common one is the Hebrew word dabar, which simply means God's word revealed in Hebrew. 24 times throughout this whole psalm, so many words that all are about God's word to us. God wants to to communicate with us. He wants to speak to you and to me, to each one of us. And so he's provided this amazing array of literature for us to look at. There's a story out of the, the 17th century about George Wishart, who was the Bishop of Edinburgh in those days, and he was condemned to death. And he would have been executed, but... When he, there, when he was up on the scaffold, he made use of a custom that was uh, allowed in those days for a condemned person to choose one psalm to be sung, and you guessed that he chose Psalm 119. <laughs> All of it. So, But two-thirds of the way through, as the psalm was being sung, 
his pardon arrived <laughs> and his life was spared. George loved Psalm 119. <laughs> and so do we. He just loved all those words. And I think that's the point. That these words, as one person said, are for us, or as the psalm says, they're for us. They are to be sweet, sweeter than honey in the honeycomb. There is this idea that Scripture is to be taken in. It's to be almost eaten, digested, and enjoyed, finding it sweet and delicious. Oh, how I love thy law, Psalm 119 says. Do you have that? Kind of overwhelming desire to, to crack the book and, and to be a part of it, to let it speak to you. The psalmist simply commends God's word to us. Mostly it seems because these words have, have gained the psalmist's attention and affection. Like a friend who departs and you just miss that conversation. Oh, I love that talk with God. I love your word, O oh God. The law is sweet to me. My affections are moved by it and set on it, the psalmist declares. I read a book once in which the author said something that really stuck with me about Scripture. She said that this is not so much a book, meaning the Bible, this is not so much a book I read, but a book that reads me. Do you have that sense when you open Scripture and begin to Take it in. Psalm 119 would agree that thy word is a lamp to my feet, a, a light to my path. Your decrees are my heritage forever. They are the joy of my heart. When I was right out of college, I went to this little church in central Washington. As a, I, I was thinking about ministry I didn't know and they wanted somebody to come and basically run a, a Bible school all summer long for them. So I went. It was good, and I, I, I ate a lot of ice cream sandwiches, I realized, looking back. You know, it's sort of like manna from heaven. Somebody kept stocking the freezer in the church kitchen, and I just kept eating them. You know, they kept appearing, so I ate them. But toward the end of that summer, the pastor was going away on vacation, and he asked if I would fill the pulpit. I don't even know what that really meant at that time. 21 years old, fill a pulpit? <laughs> okay. <laughs> so I preached at 21, and he gave me the key to his office, and I would go in there on, you know, the day, Monday through Friday, I'd put my feet up on his desk, and, you know, it's kind of like a kid in his dad's shoes. <laughs> I looked at his commentaries began to study, and I began to realize I kind of liked this, at least that part of it. But then, of course, Sunday was nerve-wracking. <laughs> I'm not really sure how those sermons went, but I knew that something was happening. It was good for me. My faith sort of rose up in that experience. And I've heard other pastors say the same thing, that they weren't really called to public speaking, but reflecting on scripture selfishly was really good for them and they realized that maybe this is where God was leading it's the great benefit of the ministry I suppose as you know Jamie Debar the voice of God of God revealing himself to us and those words 
They do loom large, Jamie. They are to be your constant companion, your constant guide, calling to you as they do to all of us to take them in, to ingest them, consume them, love them. They're words of life and, and light, giving us understanding, keeping us from troubled paths. The psalmist says, I seek you with my whole heart. Do not let me stray from your commands. I have hidden your word in my heart. I meditate on your precepts and consider your ways. I will not neglect your word. And he speaks about taking an oath to do that. So we do that as well. You know, it's no wonder the psalm is so long. The words are the way that God often comes to us. Paul would say that these words are inspired, that they're actually, the word is God-breathed to us through the Holy Spirit. And the scripture comes alive as we meditate on them and we read them, we take them up. These words, they're, they're not to be missed. They're life and energy and all that we need in life. Paul would go on to say they're sufficient for us, that they're really all we need to understand who God is and how to live this life. One Bible scholar said that the communion that we have with God in his word and in his ordinances is not the same communion that we have with God in heaven. But then he goes on, I love this part, he says, but it's like it. <laughs> it's close. It's close. When you have those times where you feel like the scriptures are coming alive, that's close to eternity. So the message here in Psalm 119 is that we are to take it in. This one short stanza we read a moment ago has this threefold call to us to, to follow, to let God's light lead us. And we are to trust that word, even beyond the, the tendency that we all have to sort of take life into our own hands. He said, he said to trust, trust this word. And then to enjoy the word, for it is our heritage, our legacy forever. It strikes me, however, that words are, are not always easy to follow or to trust or to enjoy. That words are hard. People are much easier to follow. And you know, to see you all gather around Jamie and Dave and kind of hear the stories of the years of ministry. And yeah, I sense that you've been following her and Dave. You know, what a beautiful thing that is. Words are, are harder. I discovered recently that, that Augustine, way back in the 4th century, he would gather uh, some, his friends around, and they would watch transfixed as this man named St. Ambrose would read silently from Scripture without moving his lips. That was a thing back then to read silently without moving your lips, to have words that you understand, but they were unpronounced. Back in the 4th century, and in many of those centuries, really leading up to the 13th century, that was how it was done. Words were to be pronounced. It was a group activity. One would read and others would listen. Very few people could read for themselves. And so the written word was seen as a very poor unreliable medium for communicating next to oral communication so much better. Even the poets held that writing was 
too constraining. It, it stripped the, the message down from facial inflection and expression. So the written word was hard all those years. The words, the word of God, it was something to be heard around the hearth at home or in worship together to recite them and repeat them aloud as you travel. They were to be said on the way all through life out on the path. All this to say that before it was the written word, it was first just simply the word, the word of God. It's no wonder that John, the follower of Jesus, when it came time for him to write his gospel, you know how he started that. He became convinced that this man that he was following was actually the embodiment. He was the, the expression of all those ancient words, of all that truth, those precepts, those statutes, those commands here in the flesh. And so he starts his gospel by simply saying the word was in the beginning was the word and the word was with God and the word was in God and then he goes on to say that the word became flesh and here he is Jesus others were making the same conclusions in those days that there was this amazing connection between scripture as they knew it and this man that was among them we heard it there at the end of the Sermon on the Mount, all those words Jesus spoke. Remember the, how it ends there? You heard it. You know, to anyone who hears these words and obeys them will be like the, the wise person who built their house on a rock. The rains came, the floods came, and the house on the rock stood firm. And people go, wow, that's amazing. He doesn't teach like everybody else. His words, they're like those ancient words. In fact, he is the word. He's the word of God in the flesh. Some have claimed that our modern times have simply ruined scripture by having it so readily available. It's, it's on the nightstand. It's, it's, it's everywhere. It's in the, every pew in front of you. And there it sits. We've become so accustomed to it. And we've almost ruined it by relegating it to a reading experience, not a listening one. For centuries, the Word of God was an event. Come and hear. Now it's, well, it's, yeah, I think I'll get to that. <laughs> it's a book to be read. And, well, reading, reading's hard. It takes time. Now, don't get me wrong. You know, the printing press was an amazing invention and the insistence of the Reformation period to put the Bible in the hands of every believer in every church and let the people have the word was a wonderful thing. But we must never forget or neglect to hear the word of God and to realize that we're encountering the very personality of God in the word of God. So seminary. <laughs> I think it's hard for churches to realize what's going on in someone's mind. I can remember I left, uh, I was a newspaper reporter, a sports writer, and they threw a going away party for me, much like you're going to do for Jamie here in a few minutes. I can remember being in the break room, you know, at the newspaper building, and some guy stood up, you know, I think he was in circulation or something, and he said, so, 
going to be a man of the cloth, are you? I wasn't even sure what that was. But there's a little bit of, really, you're doing that with your life? You're really going to go off and you're really going to study for three years scripture. That's what it's going to be about? The psalmist would say, yes, yes. Lay it up in your hearts. Take the words in. They are my joy and my heart's delight. I came across an article this week, 30 things to remember in seminary. And some of you are going, oh no, 30 things. No, here's two. (laughs) First, remember why you're in seminary. God's glory, God's kingdom, and God's name. Second, remember the beautiful simplicity of the gospel of Christ and your need to grow more and more in dependence on the Lord with a biblically rooted childhood faith. I've got a friend that I met in seminary. He and his wife came to visit us last summer. First time they've been to our house, and I noticed that first morning they were there My friend Danny was kind of walking all around outside and inside. He was just kind of scoping the place out. And he's the kind of guy that likes to ask questions and he's really inquisitive and he's not afraid to kind of get into your personal life a little bit. Yeah, so we finally sat down at the breakfast table and and Danny kind of leans in a little bit and looks at me really strong. And he says, so, Steve, where do you have your quiet time? Where? You know, well, that's kind of a, maybe what do you do for your quiet time? Or, you know, how does it go or how is it going? But where? I thought that was really a strange question. Our friendship apparently includes this expectation that I would be laying God's word up in my heart somewhere. There is this expectation of hearing and Following, How can they believe in the one they, of whom they have not heard? And how can they hear without someone preaching to them? How beautiful are the feet of those who bring good news. For faith comes from hearing the message. And the message is heard through the word of Christ. That's why we don't neglect the word that is the living word, Jesus Christ. Words to follow and to trust and to enjoy, to take in, to consume. Words that that have location for us. They they, they travel with us. They're here, then they're there, and it's still the same God who who has gone both places with us. So we need not fear. We think, well, no, this, this is where I hear the word, the voice of God. In this place, can it be anywhere else? Psalm 119 carries this expectation that the word of God is with us wherever we are. And it is the joy of our hearts. Paul would go on, he writes in Colossians, about letting the word of God dwell in you richly with all wisdom. And of course, Ezekiel is famous for eating the prophetic scroll. This great metaphor for consuming and internalizing the truth of God, making it so much a part of us that we can't help but to live it out. So let me just ask you today, where? 
Where do you have your quiet time? Is it only here? Or could it also be in a place like Princeton Theological Seminary? <laughs> it, could, it could work even there. It can work. The Word of God, it doesn't really have location, but it meets us in our locations. We were riding our bikes home from an evening event recently, and the light was fading. We were going up this bike pathway. We had these new little lights that we attached to our handlebars. You know where this is going. I said to Cindy, do you think they're really going to work? It was dusk, and it didn't seem like these lights were doing a thing. But it got darker. And as it got darker, the, the light on the path, it, it, it got better and better and better. And pretty soon it was like everything else was out there somewhere, but we could see the light, we could see the path so clearly. What a great metaphor we're given in this psalm. Thy word is a lamp unto our feet, a, a light unto our path. Such a great metaphor. Sometimes it seems such a dim light. Wouldn't it be better if it was more uh, topically arranged? <laughs> you know, got this problem, go here. Or wouldn't it be better if it was all chronological and you could, you know, it's like a biography beginning to end. Oh, okay, that's what happened. We've got to search it out, folks. <laughs> We've got to study it. You've got to take it in and consume it. You've got to go to seminary for three years and, and learn all about it. You know, it's adding on here, but sorry. <laughs> so I was the... Uh, Came out of the news. Went, I was. Yeah, came out of the newspaper world, and so at, in seminary, I was the editor of the little Princeton seminary paper. One time, I got this idea of going and interviewing the president of the seminary. And as I was talking to him, it just struck me that why can't everybody come to seminary? I mean, everybody in the churches. Why is it restricted to only those that are going on in some way to serve the church, as pastors and so forth? You know, the idea of the laity taking up the word, it just kind of consumed me there for a while. I just thought, this is important, that all of us should have an opportunity to, to study and to meditate. So, take them in, these words. Taste their sweetness. Shine them on the path of your life. They are to have location for us. They're to be where you are today and tomorrow. Take them with you. Follow, trust, and enjoy these words. The statutes are our heritage forever. They are the joy of our hearts. Thanks be to God. Let's pray. Lord, we are your students. We are your seminarians come to know your word and through your word to know you to know Jesus may we be rooted there that childlike faith rooted in Christ the word of God made flesh in his name we